Amen. Let's take our Bibles, if you will, and go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I know we started our scripture immersion in Colossians this month, and it's not been long since we've been in Colossians, but as you, were, as you recall, when I left, we were still in Philippians, and I've had, uh, I've had a desire to preach from this chapter here for a while. And I was going to go into, into Philippians this morning, maybe into the book of Psalms and some other places, but the Lord brought me right back here to Philippians chapter number 4. I want to take the time to read this entire chapter. Before I do that, I just want to thank you all again for being here this morning. It is, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be home. Even though the majority of our family, us personally, is not here, we are home. And this is where the Lord called us, and it's, it's good to know. It's good to be in His will. And uh, let's just jump right in this morning. Philippians chapter 4. The Bible says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Judas and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. And those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Verse 11 says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction, now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound and am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer again. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this passage, Lord, these 23 verses of just rich text, Lord, from, from the hand of your apostle, Lord, filled with your Holy Spirit. 
Lord, meet with us this morning, Lord. May, may your truth just leap off the page into our hearts, into our minds, Lord, and, and let, us, let us know for sure that we've met with your Son, Jesus Christ. We've met with the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, help us as we, as we uh, live our lives and we surrender our lives to you, Lord. Be with us this morning. Lord, we need you, we want you, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to say good morning again. I know I keep saying that, but I want you to look down at verse number 20 one last time. We're going to kind of go through, not the whole chapter, but a little bit verse by verse. Verse number 20 says, Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. You know, we have many reasons, many reasons, uncountable reasons to give God glory. Not just today, but forever. You know, simply put, we, we serve a marvelous God. It's been one of the themes since I've been back here in my mind that we serve a great God. In fact, that's the, the title of this message uh, this morning. We serve a great God. In every aspect of who God is, in every aspect of His person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have a great God. I mean, He's the only God. He is the greatest God. He is the God, and He is a great God. Again, once I had the outline for this for this sermon this morning that I really struggled with putting it together, I've been up since like 4.30 this morning working on this message and, and just laboring over the text. And one of the things that, that I struggled with coming with is, or coming to grips with is the title, and it's just simply Our Great God. That could be really the title of any message. Our Great God. Why is our God great? Because, of regard, because regardless of where we are in this world, in this life, what state of mind we are in today, tomorrow, yesterday, God never forsakes us, ever. He's always there. He's the great comforter. Whether we are distant to him or from him or whether we are near to him, he's always there. He doesn't move. He's always there. In fact, if he does move in Positionally, if you, if you will with me sometimes, you know, sometimes you feel like you drift from the Lord and you come back to the Lord and you ask, you know, I'm sorry, Lord, for drifting. And he's like, I don't know you left because he hasn't moved. If anything, he moves to you. David asked rhetorically in Psalm 139, verse 7, Whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? There's nowhere he can go without God. There's nowhere we can go without God. Psalm 34, 18, David again writes, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. Sometimes we go through some periods of times in our life when we think God is silent, but we have his word that we can trust into, and he says he is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. Many of y'all know some of the events in my, my life here lately and my wife's life, and I've got to be honest with you this morning, our return has been a bit tough. There are some expected things of life, like coming back with you know, an empty house. That's tough in itself. And then there's some unexpected things. And I admit to you before this church that I find myself a little less prepared than usual, but a little more dependent on God. At our Thursday service just a couple of days ago, I truly didn't know where to go when I was putting a message together. We've been, of course, going through the book of Acts. I just didn't have peace about Acts. And I found myself in the book of Psalms, specifically in Psalm 61, and I like to consider that our church verse there in verse number two says, From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. In the German translation, in the Martin Luther translation, the word Hohenfels is actually in the Bible. I think that's awesome. 
Our church is in the Bible. <laughs> but Jesus is, of course, our rock. He's the one we can lean on. He was there when David needed him. He is there when we need him today. You know, because God has given me this sermon, I shared this also Thursday night. You know, I didn't know what to share with the people, so I shared what was on my heart. And the same is true today, what I needed from today. But because God gave me the peace also to share this from the pulpit, there's somebody else that needs to hear this, if not all of us. And with that said, I want to look at a few aspects of God's greatness this morning that Paul kind of highlights here in Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse number 6 again. The Bible says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplications with thanksgiving. Let your request be, known, be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Well, who would not want that? The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8 says, Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, or honest, or just, or pure, lovely, and of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And those things which we have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. This morning, in our great God, one of the attributes we want to speak of is the peace of God. The peace of God. You know, verse 7 honestly concludes with what happens when we are obedient to verse 6. I like the way that works there. Verse 7 says, The peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds. So the and there, that conjunction at the beginning of verse 7, connects it with verse number 6. So when we are careful for nothing, when we make our request known unto God, the peace of God enters our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. That's a promise in the text. Now, I like the contrast there. We won't talk about it too much this morning. There's, there's many things in this chapter that we won't uh, touch on this morning. It is a rich chapter. But look at verse number 5. It says, Let your moderation be known unto all men, your gentleness, your patience, your, your moderation, if you will, but let all your requests be made known unto God. There's a contrast there. We need to reach out to God. And then in verse 6 again, he says, Be careful for nothing. Now, the Bible is telling us, not to live care it's not telling us to live careless lives that word careful of course means anxious anxious and it's a direct correlation to making our request be made known unto god in other words once we give our request to god we're not to worry about those things we're not to fret over those things we're not to be anxious whether or not god answers those prayers it's in his hands we give our request to him if you remember in john 14:1 jesus said let not your heart be troubled you believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, if we are, we are to cast our cares upon Jesus, he's the only one that can carry those burdens. We try, I try, but we cannot carry those. We are to cast our cares upon Jesus. And when we give certain things unto the Lord, those prayer requests or those, those desires or, or voices, you know, if you look at the, and throughout the Psalms and throughout the life of David, there are some prayers that he that you wouldn't repeat in front of other people. If you read through the Psalms, he's very, very vivid in what his heart, what he's going through in his life. And some of those things we wouldn't ask our superiors of. And he might have even been wrong in asking some of those things. But he shared his heart. God knows our hearts. Share with God even those things that you know that you have trouble with. Share them with him. 
And when we do that, we're not to be troubled with those things. We're not to be troubled about what may come to pass. In 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, uh, chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. All your care upon him. For he careth for you. It's like giving your problems to God and let him be troubled over them. He's not, of course, going to be troubled over them. He can handle our concerns. He knows the end from the beginning. But we are to give our cares to him, our burdens. I preached a message in, in a little small church in, in, in Virginia, I think maybe 10, 10, 15 people in the audience. And I preached out of Philippians, not this passage, but in Philippians 2 or 3 or somewhere around there. And one of those things was talking about letting go of the past and pushing forward. So Philippians chapter 3 there. And, and uh, a young man came to me afterwards and he said, I've been needing that for months. I've been holding on things that I shouldn't be holding on to. Now, God just used me, but the truth is here. We must give those things to God, and that's exactly what we talked about as we, as we chatted. We must give those concerns, our issues, our burdens, our, our broken heart to the Lord. And when we effectively cast our cares upon Him, it's not like He gives us peace, although that's a true statement, but it's also the natural result of making our request known unto God. My mind goes back to my childhood. I can't remember any, any specific incident. But think of a time maybe you're playing or maybe you're struggled by something and you ask mom or dad to take care of it and you know you have trust in the competence of your mom and dad and you just let it go. You don't forget about it anymore or you don't remember it anymore because you know that they have it. That's the kind of example that we need to live before God. And when we have that, when we let those things go, that's the peace of God that comes in among us. It's the natural result of making our request known unto God and trusting that he has our best interest in mind. And when we truly let go, I mean truly let go of those things. We all have things that we should let go. We truly let God take those things from us. I'm not saying we have to take our hands off the wheel of this life, so to speak. We are still have some responsibilities here. But when we give the outcome to God and we give our efforts to God, we give all that we are to God, then and only then we start to experience the peace that passes all understanding. You ever been in a situation, I mean, just so dire that you have this peace about you and you don't know how you got it? You're just there. I mean, I've been in some crazy places and in certain parts of this world and just a calmness that is not of me. A peace that passes all understanding. And remember, it's not just some things we are to give to God. Look at um, verse 6 again. Be careful for nothing but in everything. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Everything. This is the spiritual recipe for a peace that passes all understanding. The Bible here even continues by giving us a practical recipe for living in this life. Look at verse 8 again. He says, Finally, my brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. In other words, we are, if we are to give our troubles to God, we are not to go wallow in all the, the negative sides of these, the, the opposites of these. You know, whatsoever things are false. 
We don't focus on those. Whatsoever things are honest, we don't focus on those things. Whatsoever things are just, the unjust. There's a whole lot of focus in this world about all the negative things in this world. We see new rules, we see regulations, whatever it may be. We all look at the dark side. God, through Paul, says look at the bright side. Focus on these, think on these things. Give our troubles to God. Don't wallow in what we can't change in the dark things of life. Don't dwell on the negatives. Focus on Jesus Christ. He doesn't change. The same today, the same tomorrow, and the same yesterday. I think I've shared this before. I asked a preacher friend of mine many, many, well, not many years ago, but a couple years ago, on how to stay positive in the ministry. From a pastor to a pastor who's been in the ministry for a number of years longer than I have. And I didn't know him very well. I just, he asked any questions and so I figured I'd give it a shot. And he told me, and you don't know this pastor, he's never been here, but he told me, um, focus on the good times. You know, focus on when happiness is in the church. Focus on when all the rules are not here. This was, of course, before Corona. Focus on all those positive things. So I tried that for a while, and you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We must focus on Jesus Christ. When, we, when Paul tells us to look at these things, Think on these things in light of Christ. He wants us to think of these things. Focus on the positive things of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. I mean, who, who embodies virtue? Jesus Christ. Who embodies truth and praise? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think this is actually connected with verse number four, which says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And verse nine really brings the thought of peace, I think, into light as Paul never leaves the theme of peace, if you will, but he kind of closes this little, this little part here. Look at verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. In other words, the only, I love this part, the only surefire way for us to possess the peace of God is to also possess the God of peace. There's no peace of God without the God of peace. We must know Him personally. There must be a time in our life when we realize our wretchedness and we reached out to, to the cross and by faith received the righteousness of God. It must be a turning moment, a birth, if you will, in our lives that we know for sure that we have a home in heaven. Now, I don't know where you are spiritually, and you don't really know where I'm at spiritually, but God does. And if you desire a peace that passes all understanding, it begins with the God of peace. It begins with knowing Jesus Christ. It begins with the cross, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior and accepting that payment for your sins. God is great. God is great. He is great beyond our comprehension. He himself passes our understanding because he is the God of peace. But in this chapter, we, as we move on, we not only see the peace of God, but we see the power of God. Look at verse number 10. Verse number 10 says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned that whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content, I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need, and here is where the power of God comes in. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Paul is, of course, writing to this Macedonian church, the Philippian church, 
a church that he enjoyed very much. He loved the Philippian church. They loved him. It, rejoice and happiness is the theme of this epistle to them. And he writes of their giving to him, their flourishing of that giving. And even though they gave sacrificially to the Lord, I want you to see this, there, was some, there were still some things lacking in Paul's life that if received from them or any other church, that would have enabled Paul to do ministry more effective. Look at verse 10. It says that they lacked opportunity. There was some need that still needed to be met, but the Philippian church lacked opportunity. And if I have any understanding about the heart and mind of the Philippian church, they either could not get the funds to Paul, or they simply had nothing to give. They would have given him as much as they could. And, but because Paul knows this church, and he knows and has experienced their deep generosity, he tells them that while there is still a need, that you lack opportunity to fulfill, the gospel will still go forward. Why? Because I, Paul, is saying here, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. My wife and I lived in Hawaii for six long, beautiful years. It was great. I mean, it was wonderful. When I first got there, I did not want to be there at all. 24 by 26 miles wide island. You go crazy there for a while. But anyway, it still takes you five hours to get across there because there's so many people there. But uh, the weather is great. I mean, the, the, the culture, many things. Anyway, so we came back. We, we came back in January. Never leave Hawaii permanently in January. It's the worst time of year. We came back to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Everything was gray. Everything was dead. It's cold, no snow, ice storms. And my wife <laughs> quoted this verse to me. Whatever state I find myself in, whether it's Tennessee or Hawaii, I'll, I will be content. But it took us a while to get there. And I think you know, Paul is talking a little bit more about that, a little bit more deeper things than that. So whatever, wherever we find ourselves in this life, we must be content. And to be honest, Shannon and I were talking about this, what was that yesterday, I think? Yeah. Contentment in any one of us is a work of God. And it shows the power of God. Contentment is a work of God. Look at the phrase, not that I speak in respect of one. Paul is not stating that um, he's writing according to what he doesn't have. He's not saying, because I need this, I'm going to write to you. He is writing to what he does have. Not that I speak in respect of one. It's a focus on the things which are true, honest and pure, just like verse 8 talks about. Paul is looking on the brighter side of things. It's a focus on Christ and the things of God, regardless of the state in which he finds himself. In verse 12, he wrote that he, he knows both how to be abased and how to abound. He can live without and at the same time experience great gain. How can we do that? How is that even possible? He knew, Paul knew that true contentment is found only in a person. It's found only in Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with how much money we have in our bank, where our new house is being built. It doesn't matter any of those things. It doesn't matter how many loved ones we have around us or how few loved ones we have around us. It is based in the person of Jesus Christ. That is contentment. 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, Paul wrote, But godliness with contentment is great gain. That is gain. When our focus, when my focus is more on God, the things of this earth are less consuming. They're less distracting. Many things are still important, of course, but with the right perspective, there's life and there's peace in that life. Paul clarifies this concept a little bit more in verse 12. He says, in all things, 
all, I have underlined, in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. Full and hungry. I mean, think about that when you're sitting at your favorite restaurant. How, how do we even do that? I mean, spiritually speaking, I mean, the Bible's not illogical. It's logical. How do we be full and hungry at the same time? It's quite all right, I think, to want more of something within, within, within limits. But in our desires, at the same time, we must be content with what we have. Right? There's no, it's nothing wrong to have a, a great desire for my children to live the best life possible. But I must be content in the life that they have and even in the life that I have. For example, I'd like to see our church do more for each other, to be a closer family. I'm not saying that we're not, but there's always room for improvement. To, to have this church do more for their local community. I've been thinking about you know, going through the, the Gospels in the, in the New Testament as I was gone for a couple of weeks, and how Jesus goes from place to place and he heals them. And then he has the message. What a great concept, right? We, we, we meet some need in the community, and on that, we bring the Gospel. Just following the pattern of our Savior. So I'd like to see our church do more of that, to do more for missions, for the cause of Christ. But at the same time, I'm thankful for what we have. I'm content with what we have. On one hand, I'm hungry for us to do more. On the other hand, my heart's full with who we are in Christ. I assume many of us are on this same page. I mean, who wouldn't want these things? Who wouldn't be content in Christ? But those things get a little more difficult when we apply them to our personal selves. So when we take those that hungry and uh, that desire to be hungry and that desire or that look at verse 12, I know how to be a base and I know how to abound. Everywhere I am instructed to be full and to be hungry. When we apply that to our spiritual walk, it's a little bit more difficult. How am I to be full and hungry at the same time? This, I think, is where verse 13 comes in. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. In the army, there is this thing called the Expert Infantryman's Badge. And there's a couple of events, 40 different events. I don't know what it is now. And one of those is uh, the hand grenade. You have to throw a hand grenade and have to land in a certain place. All right? Many people don't like it. And uh, this has been many years ago, and I was friends with uh, a chaplain, Rich, Richard Burton, uh, friends with him. And as I was walking up the, the aisle uh, or the, the lane there, he says, I can do all things through Christ with strength in me. I didn't make it. <laughs> so that's not what we're talking about here. It's talking about a spiritual uh, overcoming of things. God has overcome the world, and he can overcome our world through us. We can, in fact, do all things through Christ. Remember the words of Jesus in John 15? Without me, you can do some things? Nothing. Nothing. So I think the pattern here is crystal clear. We need the power of God in our lives. There's no victorious living without the power of God. Most Christians readily recognize ministry, what I'm doing here maybe, and missions work around the world. We readily recognize that as the work of God. We are encouraged maybe by historical narratives about missionaries who have gone before us and how God has done wonders and miracles in their lives. I, I, my mind drifted this one mission. I can't remember her name, but she went to the, I think it's the, the missionary from Oregon. Okay. Um, very popular missionary. Went there, his whole family was slaughtered. Uh, 
The wife didn't go. The end of the spear. They made a movie in the book about it. And the wife ended up going afterwards after everybody told her she's going to go down there. She's going to get killed like her husband and all those things like that. And God did miracles through that woman. I have to remember that name. If you remember the name, just, just blurt it out. <laughs> yeah, that's him. Jamelia. So study Jamelia. Look at that story and, and be encouraged by that, that historical narrative, how God uses those things. And all of us would look at that. It's like God blesses the work of God. But if you're a Christian this morning, if you are a believer, your life is a work of God. It's not just for those faraway missionaries and preachers and all those things like that. Your life is a work of God, and God wants to do a work of life, a work of miracles in you, a miraculous work in your life, and we need the power of God on us. So whether you start your day off with a five-mile run, I don't do those things anymore, or maybe with a leader's meeting or a teacher's meeting or something along those lines, you need the power of God in your life. And 1 Corinthians 1.18 states that the preaching of the cross is the power of God. I love the fact. Preaching changes life. It's not me. It's not my personality. It's the power of this book and the propagation of the truth, the truths that are in this book. There's power in that. We must allow God to change our hearts so we can experience that power. The preaching of the cross is the power of God unto us which are saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Because there's no way for us, there's no way for me to abound and suffer need at the same time without the power of God. And it begins with casting our cares upon Him. If we want God's power in all things, we must give Him all things. Remember, contentment is a work of God. And then thirdly, this morning, I want, I want you to jump down to verse 14. And this one, the first two I think are easy to see in the text, the peace of God the power of God, and I can do all things through Christ. But look at number verse, uh, verse number 14. The Bible says, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire gift, but I desire fruit, that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound, and I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, uh, well-pleasing to God. So thirdly, we see the participation of God here in Philippians chapter 4. Again, this truth is not on the surface of the text, but bear with me, and I think I can pull it out here. I do believe it's implied. In verses 14 and 15, we see the words in our Bible Communicate with. Communicate with. That's one word in the Greek. I won't try to pronounce that word. But that one word in the Greek carries with it the idea of not only an exchange of information like we would understand communication today, but also the partaking of what is being communicated. In other words, in verse 15, the Bible says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. So the Philippian church communicated to Paul some blessings from their abundance. So the Philippian church had some excess, if you will, and we'll come back to that. They, they gave to Paul. There was an exchange of blessings there, back of some communication, if you will. In this case, their communication was not just an exchange of information, but also of wealth. 
and prosperity. In return, being a part of those blessings that Paul talked about, fruit abounded to the Philippian church's account. So now this exchange certainly shows the participation of the Philippian church, but it also shows God's participation. Because look at verse 14. They communicated with his affliction. Ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, if you were to read that somewhere else, if I were to write you a letter, pass you a note in school, I communicate with your affliction. What in the world would you think that means? It doesn't make much sense, I think, out of context here. But they participated, is what they're trying to get across, what Paul is trying to tell them. They participated in his tribulations and in his troubles as if they were going through them. They not only gave from what they had, they shared his burdens. They shared his afflictions. Much like a mother and a father would share the afflictions and the burdens of their children. It's like they exchanged their gifts in order to experience their afflictions. Hey, let me, let me give you a love offering because I want to be a part of what you're doing for the Lord. I want to exchange that. I want to be there. They were in ministry with Paul as much as they could be if they were with Paul on the field. When Paul laughed, they laughed. When Paul cried, they cried. When Paul mourned, they mourned. And we've all experienced things like this. We have loved ones. We, we see someone we love endure some tragedy and our heart goes out to them. We mourn with them because we love them, because they mourn. And I think we can easily picture our Savior here. Remember, remember John chapter 11 when Lazarus passed away? Four days later, Jesus comes walking up to Bethany before he raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, God knew the future. He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But as he walked up there, there outside the tombs was a broken woman. A woman who believed in the resurrection. A woman who believed that Jesus was God in the flesh. A woman who couldn't see what Jesus could see. We all fit in her shoes. But did Jesus chastise her for that? Did he tell her that she was crying over something that he could fix like this? Which he could. It'd be a true statement. And he cried with her. He cried with her. Like the Philippian church participated with Paul's afflictions, Jesus participated in her broken heart. I think his heart was probably more broken than hers. My mind drifts back to Genesis chapter 6 when Moses writes that repented the Lord that he made man. Broke his heart. From what man had done up until that point, it broke his heart. Again, I believed he mourned with her as much as if he didn't know the future. Jesus mourned. That's our Savior. That's our Jesus. That's our great God. That's who he is. He participates in our afflictions. Wherever you are in this life as a believer, you are never alone. Not even in the pain, he is there with you. I mean, think about the reason why Jesus was at the tomb in the first place. Think about the reason why God was even in the flesh. Why was he there? You know, he didn't come, he didn't have to come save us. He didn't have to humble himself into humanity. He didn't have to endure Gethsemane. He didn't have to go to the cross, but he did. He participated in our affliction. And he not only participated in our salvation, he is our salvation. 
He not only participated in our humanity, the Word was made flesh. He became human. He not only participated in our depravity, He became our sin. I mean, think about that. The God of all, creator of all, became the darkness of sin for you and for me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, God, hath made him the Son to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a great God. What a God we serve. He's not some distant, uninvolved God with not so much as a thought about us. No, he's a great God. He participates in the affairs of man, in our affliction. How much more could God participate in our salvation than paying for it? How much more than becoming the sin and the sacrifice for our redemption? What more could one do for somebody else, even while we were his enemies? You know, he created each and every one of us. He knows us by name. And he very much participates in every part of our life, whether we recognize it or not. He's there. He's there. The question for us is not whether God participates in our lives, but do we participate in his do we care for the things of God? Do we communicate our love to Him through actions and words and thought? Who is He to us? He cared it all. He paid it all. What do we do for Him? Which really brings us back to the text. Look at verses 17 and 18. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound that I am full, having received of Epaphroditus, the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. How do we, what do we do to show our benefit to God, our, our gracious, our gratitude, if you will, to God? The gifts that this Philippian church sent by Epaphroditus to Paul, who are they well-pleasing to? God. Paul, of course, but God. An odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. You see, we are never more Christ-like than, we are, than when we give from a pure heart. I am challenged by the text this morning to participate in the things of God more than I ever have before. To give more than I ever have before. To do what I can for the cause of Christ because of Christ. And may we, you and I, bear each other's burdens a little more in our church, in our community, for our missionaries, because in that we are truly Christ-like. And regardless of where you are spiritually today, or even tomorrow physically from the ends of the earth, and from whatever state you find yourself in, know that God participates in your life, in your sufferings, in your joy, and all those things. Which leads us quickly as we close here tonight in verse, or this morning, in verse 19. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Finally, we see the providence of God. The providence of God. This is a great passage. Committed to memory, no doubt, by many, many Christians. You know, for many years... Even before I was in ministry here at Home Fellows, actually, really as far as I can remember, God has always provided. There's been times I didn't think, I didn't get what I thought I needed, but looking back, I always got. And that's true of all of us, I think. I can look back and see God as far back as probably seven or eight years old in my life providing for me. 
But as you know, just last few weeks, we returned to the States and we dropped our children off there. I got to tell you, it's, it's been a long time since I've seen God move in my family the way he did amongst my children. It was amazing to see how God provided for my children. From one thing after another, God worked. I mean, I could stay up here for probably a good hour, but I'll give you a couple things. From employment to finding a job. I mean, they both had jobs. Johnny went to church. You know, we went to church there, talked to a guy at church, called, the, called a different boss that the guy from church told him on Monday, got, a hire, got hired over the phone, went to work on Tuesday. <laughs> I mean, just, just one thing after another. So from employment to residence to God leading us to people I have never met, just to be a blessing to my children was nothing short of miraculous. I would say even now where they live at, which is a miracle in itself, a, a, time for, a story for another time, 70% at least of the things that are in their home, from, from, kitchens, uh, from kitchen table to beds and th- things like that, 70% of it was given by people that they'd never met. Through an ordained set of circumstances, I found myself sitting in a living room next to George. Y'all remember George, right? Sitting, with, uh, sitting next to George and a person that I've never met who grew up in Switzerland, never met me before, heard our story, and gave my children $300 just to be a blessing. Never met him. In another situation, God provided two cars from a Christian man who I found out was linked to another church that we were at. It's just, it's just amazing. This man had these two cars. Now, he sells a car here and there, but he, he's telling me as he was putting these things on the lot, didn't even list them yet. He's like, I really don't know why I have these two cars. I already sold what I want to sell this year, and now I found these two cars in my lap, and two days later, you call me looking for two cars. I mean, God put these things together, and he let me drive away with one of them without even paying for it. He says, pay me when you get the money. I can go on and on, but suffice it to say, we serve a great God who provides for those that he loves, for his children. And to the Philippian church here in the text, to a church who consistently and sacrificially gave, God supplied every single need. It's easy, it's, it's easy to overlook this here, but the church here at Philippi, look up at verse 15, from Macedonia. This is the church of Macedonia. Now take your, don't lose your place there, but go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to show something here that many of y'all may, may have put together, maybe not, but the church at Philippi was in the heart of Macedonia. And it was a very poor church. It was a church that were in who were in deep poverty. Second Corinthians, just a few pages to the left, chapter eight. Look at verse number one. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Poor churches. Verse 2 says, How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto their riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, and yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. For praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift, a gift from a church in deep poverty, and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. And this they did. Not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord, which is key, and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired uh, Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, he's telling the Corinthian church this, he's bragging on the, the Macedonian churches, if ye abound in everything, in faith, 
and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. What grace are we to abound in? The grace of giving, because God provides. We serve a great God who provides. Like Philippians 4.17 states, the gifts that we bear fruit on our the gifts that we give are fruit bear on our accounts. When we and I, when you you and I give for the right reason to the right cause, we are given to God. An odor, a sweet smell, and sacrifice well pleasing to God. And there's no greater cause than the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether it's our time that we're giving, whether it's our talent that we're given, or our treasures that we're given, when we give what means to us, it's well pleasing to God. And never forget. The providence of God. He will take care of you. He will take care of you. I will share this one last story here, and then we'll kind of close with the notes here. When I first got here in 2016, this time around, um, I came here, and many of y'all remember the McDaniels. They were here, and uh, he reached out to me about a month before. Hey, I heard you're coming up here as a missionary. You're going to work with Brother Raynick uh, uh, to be here in Homeless Baptist Church. like, yes, sir, I am. He said, I have a car for you. I get on the ground, and he gives me the keys to a car, title, and everything. He didn't pay a penny for it. Um, I have a Volvo in my, in my driveway. I'll see whether I didn't pay a penny for that. God gave me that car. Um, and I say all that to say this. Way back about, I guess about 10, 10 12 years ago, um, I sold a car. I owed money on a car. You know, normal thing. We go buy, we pay, we pay whatever on the car. And the car was worth, I don't know how much money, $20,000. And we owed like $10,000. And we sold it to that man of God for what we owe. And even sitting at the bank, the bank person across the desk were like, are you sure this, this car is worth twice of what you're selling it for? You can, he's approved for the loan. You, he, you can sell it for 20 grand. And he's like, no, give him that. And every time somebody's giving me a car, that thought comes to my mind. That thought. You cannot outgive God. Now, I'm not here to preach a prosperity gospel or anything of that mind, but we must give ourselves to God. It's not our things that God searches. It's us. He wants us. God always provides. Jehovah Jireh is what Moses wrote when God provided the ram in the bush. He always provides. And look at verse number 19 again. But my God shall supply all your needs, not out of his riches, according to his riches. If it were out of his riches, it'd be something that could be exhausted, but it is according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And I will close with this passage from Hebrews. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus and that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to Him, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We serve a great God. We serve a great God. Let us, let's go to that great God in prayer.